Through the darkness of future's past, the magician longs to see. One chance out between two worlds. Fire. Walk with me. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is the 100th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. How about that? <laughs> ah, that is, of course, not counting the 38 bonus episodes. <laughs> so technically, episode 138. Yeah, but who's counting? We started out back in March of 2019 with me doing a solo run of The Shining, which we redid this past March as our one-year anniversary special. It's been a great run. We've learned a lot about podcasting and about movies as we tried to make this podcast as great as possible. We started a sister podcast, Oscar Sunday, which just dropped its 13th episode this past Sunday. Z, yes. check that out. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun with that one. It's given us uh, you know, space to talk about all kinds of movies. Foreign, you know, uh, current films, old films. We did Wings from the 20s. Yeah. We, we did Defy Bloods from 2020. You know, yeah, it's all over the place. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and basically what we're saying is we've come far. And we'll come back to our reflection towards the end, but first we got to get weird because it's Weird Shit Wednesday for the last time. Yes. And who better to dive into than Academy Award-nominated weird-as-shit director David Lynch and his intense filmography of films, each one more bizarre than the last. But first, we got to do the Rewind. Yes. Or we look back at past episodes and see if there's any juicy updates for you. Got two this time. Okay. One for episode 10 on Roman Polanski and one on episode 41, The Thing. Why does Polanski keep coming back up? Oh, yeah, because he's a piece of shit. Because he won't just go away. <laughs> it, it, like, except that you got away with rape and fuck off. Yeah. You don't get to be famous anymore. Stop it. Yes. And that's basically what... The update is, Roman Polanski has been denied reinstatement into the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. A Los Angeles judge ruled that the Academy had every right to expel Polanski, a convicted child rapist. Polanski had been expelled in 2018, sued them in 2019, and recently lost the case. Goddamn right. The balls, man, that he's like, no, I want in. Like, no, you're a bad man. Especially right now, uh, for as much shit as the, the Academy gets, uh, right now they're actually trying to make changes and get a bunch of new diversity on the board and with voters. And so you try to make that move right now? Fuck out of here. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Louis C.K. constantly trying to get back on the comedy circuit, like unaware that it's over. It ain't happening. Yeah. Like everybody accepts that what you did was horrific and you are a bad person and your career is dead. It's over. So you need to accept that. Roman, I'm sorry, but it's done. <laughs> you are you don't get to be part of the Academy anymore. You don't get to have the Hollywood premiere. It's a miracle you fucking got the yeah. uh, best director at Khan. Yeah. So was it Khan? Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, and you, and you had you had some some folks walk out. You know, the the, the star of Portrait of Lady on Fire, uh, Adele Hanel. She said, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." Yeah. And I agree with her. I'm with her. Uh, we've spoken. You know, we we love some of his films, of course. But like you said, it's like okay, well, post doing this horrible thing, he should not be able to make movies and be famous. And it's just gone on for too long. Well, it's a miracle that it took this long for people to realize that. I mean, he won Best yeah. Director in 2002. Yeah. Like, this is recent shit. 
But at least they did finally realize this. Like, yeah, he's over. It's yeah. done. Yeah, it's done. Don't even. Yeah, it's 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 time to yeah cancel him out. And the only not, person who doesn't seem to fucking realize that is Roman Polanski. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, Roman by Polanski. Ugh, dickhead. God, it just makes my toes curl when I hear it. Truly. <laughs> Next up, uh, Blumhouse has announced their intentions to produce a remake of The Thing, which apparently John Carpenter is involved with. Now I want to hate this. But the last time Carpenter was involved with the reboot of his own work, we got that incredible 2018 Halloween movie. So I've got mixed feelings. I don't want them to remake the thing, but if Carpenter's on board, maybe we see where it goes. What do you think? I think a lot of things about the thing and how it's (laughs) one of the greatest horror movies of all time. And like you said, you know, you initially are like, oh, this is ours. You can't fuck with it. But then you see Carpenter's involved. You're like, okay, okay. Now, the Halloween thing, I I believe that it, the reason it worked so, so well is because of the guys that were in charge, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, these fans, massive fans. And the focal point of Halloween is Michael Myers, who is obviously a timeless character. The thing is going to be a little bit tougher to, to, to recapture, in my opinion. The, the Kurt Russell stuff, what are we doing there? You know what I'm saying? Whereas the focal point of Halloween is very much the, 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 the guy who doesn't speak with the mask and he's going around killing people. Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis is awesome, but I just don't see where the thing has that nostalgia play where it's still connected to the, to the 80s movie and also new. I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical too. Uh, what I would do is I would have Kurt Russell on board as R.J. McCready. Gotta be. And I would have him be, you know, suffering from PTSD, never moving on, maybe living in the Arctic in a then shack in. somewhere. And then, you know, new people come to the uh, the base where they find the, the creature. And he, like, you know, they go to him and they're like, hey, we found something in the ice. And he's like, put it back. Yeah. Burn it. Yes. <laughs> but they don't. And now they're all dealing with this again. But he's there and he knows how to handle the shit. So yeah. I would Jamie Lee Curtis him. Okay, okay. If that happens, yeah. and so it's, yeah, say a trailer comes out and at the end of it, you see Kurt Russell like, fucking put it back. And you're like, all right, I'm there. Yeah. I'm there, <laughs> there. Everybody calm down. But no, if it if it, if it tries to do something completely different or, or and it, and it like doesn't have that thing, yeah, <laughs> then, it, then I'll, I'll be skeptical and disinterested. I agree, I agree. But I do like that Blumhouse is the one behind it because they have proven that they do care about these properties. For sure. It, it's good signs, but but again, when you love... Obviously, we both love this film, yes. right? You know, the thing is it, it, mega important. So until it kind of happens, we're going to be like, hold on. Yeah. That's, that's one of our favorite 80s films and horror films in general. So it's it's tough. Absolutely. But neat that it's being talked about. Oh, yeah. In, with, like, the right intentions. Yeah, yes, in the right hands. Yeah. All right. So let's get started. David Lynch was born in Missoula, Missouri on January 20th, 1946. Growing up in a small Midwest town would definitely influence his work, which often is set in small-town America. He attended art school in Philadelphia, married his first wife, Peggy Lynch, had a daughter, future director Jennifer Lynch, and began his increasingly weird career with 1977's Racerhead, which was fueled by his own fears of fatherhood. He's been married four different times, Peggy Lynch, Mary Fisk, Mary Sweeney, and finally, Emily Stoffel, his current wife. So let's go through his film career and shine a brief spotlight on his films. Let's. Yeah. 
So what do we got? Eraserhead. Eraserhead. 1977. Uh, this is a film uh, we both have watched recently. Yes. For, for this. And I know we had a review previously from a writer that you had uh, contributions from years yeah, back. Back in the day, yes. And uh, Eraserhead is, like all Lynch, it's an acquired taste. It's very, very bizarre. Uh, definitely him saying he's scared to become a father. Yes. Uh, if you want to read into it that way. And uh, I enjoy this. Uh, I would give it an 8 out of 10 if I were rating it that way. Uh, <laughs> rolled eyes on the other side of the table here. And uh, that's that's mainly because I had seen so much of the other Lynch stuff that I kind of just bought into his his strange style uh, and Eraserhead being the, you know, black and white and odd, odd, yeah. you know, odd, oddly filmed. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, as we've established over the course of this show is the way we both approach film. You tend to be more uh, attracted to a stylistic standpoint. You look at, you know, the way a film is constructed. Yeah. I tend to look more at the narrative and nobody exemplifies style over substance more than David Lynch. Yes. So yeah, I can understand the difference of opinion here, big time. Oh yeah, no, there's there's <laughs> there's there uh, for for Connor and I to to actually strongly disagree on something is, is very tar- hard to find, and and this is something that we definitely disagree on in some cases. We definitely like some of these films, like as we get you know go down the filmography. But Eraserhead is definitely a good example of. I just buy into the, like you said, the yeah. atmosphere, the style. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, wh- what's even happening? What are you even doing? I fell asleep twice. I That's, will admit that. that. And it's not I a long understand. movie. <laughs> no, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so, it's too, it's too weird for me. It's too weird. I get it. I think it should be a short. Yeah. I think it should be about a 30 to 40 minute short where it, it's more like, uh, yeah, if you commit to this, you're not as, yeah. <laughs> but not as, I love that out. Jack Nance, who's in a lot of his films, uh, was asked about this, and he's like, I don't know, it's a movie. <laughs> like, he has no connection to this. Yeah. He's in, like, you know, I know that uh, my uncle had, uh, yeah, my uncle told my mom to put the Eraserhead poster in the locker at school because he said it was cool. So she had Jack Nance in Eraserhead in her locker. She had never seen the movie. Just, she didn't know what the fuck it was. But she's like, Sean said it was cool, so I'll put it in here. Yeah. <laughs> Sean said it was cool. And I was like, that's great. I love it. Yeah. So I've always heard about Eraserhead and it uh-huh. took this podcast for me to finally watch it. Yeah. And, uh, for first time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to start your Lynchathon with this movie, you are not going to continue that Lynchathon. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Unless you are already a hardcore David Lynch fan or you are prepared but, for this. But how could you be a hardcore Lynch fan if you haven't seen anything else? Right. You know, so it's like catch 22. So, so yeah, no, it really, it really is. And I, I found myself watching this definitely later on in my, yeah, in my, you know, my Lynch experience. Actually, that's a good place to like pause moratorium. <laughs> what was your first David Lynch movie? Oh shit. Uh, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet was my first one. I was recommended it. I want to say in 2014, I was living with a friend, my good buddy, Kelly, who went to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy Kelly, I was living with him and another friend had said, Hey, I think you would really like blue velvet. You just knew me kind of knew my, my movie taste. And you know, this is, this is six years ago. So I was 19 and already just kind of like changing rapidly as a movie fan. 2014 was a big year, you know, whiplash, Birdman, boyhood, grand Budapest hotel, all these films come out. And I, and you know, I watched blue velvet and I was just shook by it. Right. Yeah. 
And, and then I was like, that's the guy in Twin Peaks, isn't it? And that's how I kind of unlocked that whole thing and, and, and unlocked the David Lynch uh, box, if you will. <laughs> uh, was, was, yeah, because Blue Velvet. And I do think that is a good place to start. I think it's one of his masterpieces. Yes. Um, we'll get to that one in a, in a few minutes, yeah. Yeah. Blue Velvet was mine, too. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's a good place to start. Yes, indeed. So after Eraserhead, what do we have? 1980, so that's just three years after, and that would be The Elephant Man, which is also seen, uh, like like Blue Velvet, it's also seen as one of Lynch's more, this is a good film. Yeah. Um, I know you saw this one before we did this, right? Yes. Yeah. We both did, I don't think either of us got to revisit it. We didn't, but it's one of those films that sticks with you. Uh, yeah. You don't forget The Elephant Man. No kidding. From the poster to the, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to the, the finale of the film, and this is one I would love to tackle on one of our podcasts. Absolutely. It's a very, very sad story. And it's a true story. And it's weird to see Lynch go ape shit with a racer head, but then do a very straightforward biopic with yeah. the elephant man. So he can do both. He just chooses to be weird as fuck. Yes. And you, you have that, uh, that, that deliber, deliberation of, you know, I am weird, and then here's a good movie. Yeah. I am weird. <laughs> and, and then it brings us to Dune in 1984, another I am weird. And he says uh, uh, a lot of those things were changed. Yeah. Right. He says that that movie, he kind of sort of disowns it. Yeah. He hates Dune. It's not, it's not his. And I, I, I'm uber excited to see the remake, but a lot of people just say that it's not a story you can put on the big screen properly. But I, I'm excited. Dennis V is the man and he's yeah. one of the best directors of the past decade. Uh, the resume is there. So I'm excited to see that one. Kyle MacLachlan came out recently and said that he's surprised they haven't tried to make Dune a series. Yeah, yes, because there's so much to go into. Yeah. And, and in this day and age, you feel like yeah, some company would be like, let's just throw a bunch of money into each episode and make a make a show out of this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's ripe for an Amazon Prime or a Netflix. Exactly. But I guess they want to go with the grand scope. And yeah, Dune is a fucking mess. It's a shit show. I watched some of this the other night, and it, it is a goddamn mess. It really is. It makes no sense. It's got that weird blend of sci-fi weirdness and regular people names like Paul and Jessica, mm-hmm. which really bothers me. Yeah. And uh, it's just a very tough watch if you're not familiar with the source material. Yes. And uh, I don't see myself reading a 900-page book after this. So just, yeah, no, not a fan of Dune. No, Dune is, to me, probably the worst one out of, out of all of these not to me oh i've got a much worse one coming we'll, up we'll get there yeah we'll get there <laughs> next up would be uh like we mentioned before blue velvet 1986 blue velvet his fourth film uh and just just a few years before twin peaks happens yes and you can certainly see the connection with kyle as an actor you can see the chemistry and how he's clearly willing to go to a far lengths yeah for david lynch absolutely lynch uh, gave him a career Yes, exactly. And it has continued, you know, uh, with the return and all that. It's just so cool. Blue Velvet is a wild fucking movie. It is an intense thriller. It'll be on film, guys, in one day. As It's a, it's a frightening film. Yeah. I think definitely Dennis Hopper's greatest performance. Like, yeah. a scary motherfucker. Yeah. And, uh, and that's saying a lot, man. Hopper's the shit. He's the man. Oh, yeah. Have you seen True Romance? <laughs> <laughs> My uncle uh, had lunch with him once. Yeah. What? Met him uh, through mutual friends. Where where at? Uh, I think it was in Hollywood. I'm sorry, Sean, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I'm getting the facts wrong here. But I know he met David Lynch. I mean, not David Lynch, Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah. That'd be crazy. Uh, at, a, at lunch somewhere, uh, they talked. He was really nice. It was like two or three years before he died. 
And uh, yeah, 2010 is when he died. Yeah. Yes, yeah. He 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 told me that story a couple times, and it's just fucking bonkers. That is awesome. Yeah. Apparently, he was really nice and humble. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see it. I, I love love his character. What are some other films you love him in? Dennis Hopper. Uh, I don't love the movie, but I'll admit that he's pretty awesome in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. <laughs> That's a good call. I don't like the movie at all, but. As a vengeful sheriff fighting Leatherface with twin chainsaws, that's hard to ignore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I I think the one that stood out to me the most when I was younger and still does is uh, is uh, Speed. Fucking Speed, good yeah. call. Nineteen ninety four. Um, Speed is a movie that I want to talk about a lot more, and I, I'm not <laughs> sure where we're gonna place it, but it'll show up one day on on, on Filmgasm in some fashion because Speed is just an exhilarating movie well, and he's a big reason why I point this out it was up for three technical Oscars I, I know so. we can, I know we can put it over there for 1994 we, we we did our first episode ever was uh for Oscar Sunday was Pulp Fiction 1994 so maybe next time we come back to 94 we could do that yeah. Speed know, is a fun movie but I know you want to talk about Lion King so mm, we're gonna have some decisions decisions some debates there because we've done Pulp we've talked about Shawshank in a, fa- in, in a way Forrest Gump I, I, I would rather do the I'm not in a rush to do Forrest Gump it's a good yeah. movie but I'm, I'm not in a rush Whereas Lion King and Speed would be a lot of fun. Yes. Yes, they yeah. are. Pop quiz, hot shot. Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> quiz show. <laughs> yeah. Hopper's, a man, Hopper's the man, and he really fucking kills it in Blue Velvet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's one David Lynch that's just weird enough. Like, it's easy oh, to follow. Yeah. Yes. But it's got that flavor of, like, something is wrong here. It's, you know, small town America. He, he would revisit that feel, that tone for Twin Peaks. Blue Velvet's very much a predecessor to Twin Peaks. Oh my God, yeah. It's that small town has a secret kind of thing that Lynch has always been really good at. And that's what it's really, really built around, right? Yeah. And then everything else is just fun. It's I mean, it all starts when Kyle MacLachlan finds a fucking ear in a field. <laughs> how much, how, that's very Twin Peaks, yeah. <laughs> so good. That yeah. brings us to 1990, getting even closer to Twin Peaks, <laughs> which I, I actually would love to see when Wild Heart exactly came out. Wild at Heart. With within Twin Peaks, it's got to be right in there. Oh yeah, because uh, yeah, this is Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen this a few years back again when I kind of you know discovered Lynch as a director and then rewatched it recently, and I I fell in love with it this time. Seeing Nicolas Cage, you know, kind of dancing around with a cigarette, <laughs> I'm in. I'll watch that for hours. That image of right at the beginning of the movie of Nick Cage like in the corner. His hands on the wall, yeah. pointing at Diane Ladd. Ooh, God, it's like the perfect image of Nick Cage. Yes. I love it. Mm, Wild Heart was fucking crazy. Yeah, it's a, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a cool-ass movie. And, and, and even more, you're like, oh, God, here comes Twin Peaks. You know, it's just, it's just strange, bizarre. Some of the music, some of the you know, needle drops in there are just like, what is happening here? <laughs> and you're getting even more and more into the dream, dream-like stuff. And... Uh, that's a good place to kind of stop for a minute and, and say it. Twin Peaks came out. Twin Peaks. The show. 1990 and to 1991. So it has its two seasons. Season one is, is eight episodes and season two is 22. Um, famously, through season two, Lynch was essentially forced to provide the audience with who the killer was. Yeah. And rush into these things, and it still kind of comes around. And has this really creepy ending. And it's a great reveal, though. The ep- like when you do oh find out who, who killed Laura, 
It's my favorite episode. It's bonkers. But audience, like the audience dropped off immediately because that was why people were watching. Now, if your show is built entirely around a mystery, once you solve that mystery, nobody's going to watch your show anymore. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's what happened with Twin Peaks. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, so it, it's, it gets canceled and doesn't, it doesn't come back until 2017. Considering how violent all of his movies are, how insanely over-the-top violent tw- the, the movie is, how did this end up on ABC? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it happened. It's so revolutionary. This is like, you'd think in the 90s, this was built for the Fox network. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> it's nuts, man. It, it really is to think about, like, if you and I were, you know, chilling out in 1991 and we're watching season two, Twin Peaks, live on TV, and it's just like, there's absolutely nothing like it. And, and then what we know now, being 25 and it being 2020 and how, how much Twin Peaks as a show has influenced TV now and movies yeah. now. Great shows that we love, Breaking Bad and The Sopranos. And it, you have to respect that. This was before HBO. This was a time when TV was sitcoms and soap operas. Yes. There was no ongoing story arcs. Like, that wasn't a thing. Twin Peaks did that for the first time. So David Lynch opened the floodgates for so many opportunities for various TV shows over the years. And uh, what, you know, whatever your feelings are towards Lynch or Twin Peaks, you got to admit that that's an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, truly, and that's that's a great way to put it. Is that it's an it's it's an accomplishment, and it changes changes the game. Yeah, changed the landscape. Yeah, and I, I love him for that. And then the content itself, I happen to to really really like. Oh yeah, I'm bit, the first two seasons of Twin Peaks are fucking awesome. They're they're great. Yeah, man. I wouldn't I have mean, kept going otherwise. I mean, Jesus, some of my favorite David Lynch stuff ever. You know, just like uh, in season one. Episode one, I'll even say, I'll just, just right there in the pilot, you have an, uh, uh, a bit where Donna is talking to a friend at school with a locker, and you're just kind of like, man, it's heavy, 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 and the ominous music, and, you know, these, these kids are dealing with this, this death, right? And then he just, his black humor, he just places it in such odd, it, the timing of it is so odd, and in that scene, Donna's talking to another student, and they're like, oh, and... There's a kid who closes his locker behind them and just dan- you know just dances away, just kind of does the his little wave here, <laughs> and and I was like that man, you know those are the little things that Lynch does where it does matter. Each episode does matter because of that, and so if you like Lynch, the little things matter, and that's why the TV show is so cool because he rewards you over and over and over and over for watching it, for truly watching it, and that's where I think the shows like Breaking Bad. And The Sopranos, where like each episode counts and matters and has good shit in it. It's not filler. That's like the importance of Twin Peaks is proving that you can tell a lot of story. You just, you just got to do it correctly. True. And it's not like Lynch, you know, wasn't able to be himself with Twin Peaks. There's a lot of weird, off the wall, yeah. unexplainable shit that happens in that show. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, you know, Nadine ending up in the hospital and then going home thinking she's 18 years old and has super strength. Like, what the fuck is that? So it was, but I think what differs the original run of Twin Twin Peaks and The Return is that while Lynch did have, you know, creative, I don't don't think it wasn't creative control, but he had input. He had somebody to to hold him back with Twin Peaks. He had like Mark Frost and ABC. Yeah, and clearly ABC told him like, hey man, speed it up here, buddy. And The Return, it's just Lynch doing whatever he wants and... That is not, it's not cool. You need this guy, this guy needs a counterpoint or else you end up with just 
18 hours nothing of, that 18 makes hours any of, yeah, yeah yeah 18 hours of self-indulgence <laughs> it's it's a fucking mess yeah so and that, that's in 2017 what we're talking about so back back to the filmography that would bring us to 1992 twin peaks fire walk with me yes which is uh f- the film we're centering this episode around yes episode 100 and we'll, we'll we'll go into the plot a bit and you know just kind of talk about the film itself because it is got some creepy creepy moments and yeah very lynch moments right extremely and uh, that's 1992. Um, we'll save our thoughts for that one in a little bit. 1997, Lost Highway. Oh, boy. I know you hated this one. I fucking hated Lost Highway. This is David Lynch's worst film, in my opinion. This was just... Worse than Dune, for sure. Way worse. This way was worse. awful. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, it's it's absurd. It's an absurd movie. Bill Pullman, what do you... You know, such a strange time to do that, like, in his career, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, this is like Lynch through and through. If you, yeah. Do not watch this if you don't like him. Bill Pullman. Or, or, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if I'd recommend it to yeah. Lynch fans. <laughs> he goes to prison, inexplicably morphs into this mechanic, gets let out of prison, never addresses who he was, has a completely different story, then morphs into Bill Pullman again at the end and kills Robert Loja yeah. for having a porno ring. Yeah. What? Two hours of this? Two hours. What is, God damn it. I mean, there's a point where it's absurd. It's no longer, you know, making your vision. It's trolling people. And that's and what that, this fucking and is. And that movie, once it goes past 20 minutes, you're like, okay, what are we doing here? I was just, I was waiting for like something. Yeah. But it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, some of these films, you know, big, big fans of, of Lynch's, you know, I'm a big fan, but it, there's there's some that are like disciples, right? And they think everything he's done is, is gold. And nah, it doesn't exist. And, uh, yeah, Lost Highway is definitely one that could be looked at as, his, you know, one of his worst movies. One of his worst projects, period. You know, I, I'll i say now, you know, I this is the time when he, he was making a shit ton of shorts throughout his career. And I've watched a lot of the ones from the 90s and the 2000s, mainly the Dumbland series. And it's so off the wall. <laughs> I mean, if you think the movies are off the wall, these five to ten minute shorts are like, you know, they're they're drugs. They're like drugs. Like he's trying to inject something in you that just works or it doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, but with short films, you have that freedom to do whatever the fuck you yeah, want. Yeah, with a two-hour movie, you're like, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're making people commit. And it's like, oh, man. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I really do think some of these ideas would, would be better suited just as a short. Lost Highway, you know, guy goes to prison for the murder of his wife, turns into another guy. I'd watch that for 10 minutes. Exactly. But exactly. two hours? Fuck, up, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, 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 the, the last film of the 90s that uh, Lynch directed. That's 1999's The Straight Story. Another wholesome biopic from this fucking weirdo. It doesn't make sense. Two, hour, two, uh, two years after Lost Highway. <laughs> the Straight Story is such a heartwarming story. It's a true story of a man named Alvin Straight, yeah. who was an elderly man who didn't have a driver's license. He finds out his brother is, uh, had a stroke. So he hopped on his riding mower and drove from Iowa to Wisconsin over 350 miles to see his brother. And this movie is his story. And yeah. it's very sweet. Richard Farnsworth plays Alvin Strait, and Farnsworth had just been diagnosed with bone cancer. Yeah. So he knew he was dying when he did this. He killed himself the next year because he didn't want to, you know, he wanted to go out his own way. And with that in mind, this movie becomes way more poignant. And it's just a very, you know, heartwarming wholesome American tale that you never, ever would have expected would come out of this guy. I, I can't explain it. 
that the guy who gave us Lost Highway, Blue Velvet, and Eraserhead also gave us The Elephant Man and the Straight Story. <laughs> Crazy. That's his eighth film. Like, that's really wild, yeah, that he's he's going to those places. And and I, we've talked about, uh, you know, all kinds of directors on this. And one that just popped out to me that you, myself, and, and Josh have talked about is is uh, Takashi Miike. Yes. Apparently he's able to do that. Where he's <laughs> able to go from like, hey, here's this torture movie, and then here's this family like sing-along film. Like, how do these guys do this? I guess they just like making movies. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Well, I know that uh, when Lynch was making this project, he approached Farnsworth, and Farnsworth was like, all right, I've seen Blue Velvet, so I don't know if I want to be on that kind of film. And Lynch is like, no, no, no. I not this time. I promise. Yeah. Like he had to say, like, I will not get weird with Alvin Straits. I'm saving tale. that for my next movie. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. I got enough in the tank for this like bonkers movie. Don't worry. Coming up in a couple years, so I'll just you know I'll be good. <laughs> and what was that movie? Ah, uh, one of my five, ten favorite movies ever, Mulholland Drive, two thousand one. Um, masterpiece. Yeah. Probably through yeah. and through, through and through masterpiece. You know, I I love it so 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 much and it could it could go to either podcast it's got some 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 scary moments some funny moments and then it's got some oscar nominations uh i love that he got shouted out for best director at that show um i i think he probably should have won uh, this movie <laughs> moves like i i've talked about how there's moments of it that feel like a cohen brother film there's moments moments of it that feel so precise that it's like a you know paul tom sanderson film and he just, he's just at the peak of his powers, in my opinion, during Mulholland Drive. It's my favorite thing he's done. Piece of media, right? Like, I love Twin Peaks. But it's hard to compare 48 episodes in two movies to one movie that's perfect in my <laughs> eyes. So I, I always point to Mulholland Drive. If someone wants to watch something that's David Lynch, this is the thing I'm giving them. Is I love Blue Velvet. I do think it's a masterpiece. And it might might be better to watch something that's earlier. But this movie is like, is so, so special and signifies a turning point. Uh, I love that time, you know, early 2000s when things are clearly changing in Hollywood and even more bizarre stuff is, 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 is being done in the late 90s and early 2000s because of the directors that are at work. So I love it, man. I love it so much. It reminds me of a specific time in film and it reminds me of when I first saw it and how I was like, wait a minute, who is this? It's got to be Lynch, right? <laughs> and you look on IMDb and you're like, it's, David fucking Lynch. And I I adore it. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad you got to see it and that you actually liked it, right? I did. I went into this fully expecting to hate it. And and I've, I, I've, I haven't talked to you a lot about it because you haven't seen it. And I, it is, it's my favorite movie of the 2000s uh, on our top 10 list. I, I had it at number one. It, it really is one of my five to 10 favorite films ever. And so when you're like, when you, someone knows that, right? That knows you so well, you're like, I'm, I'm, you're not gonna try to like influence you in any way. Just watch it. Um, this, this kind of a similar experience with Magnolia, where I was like, please like it, please like. That's it. the thing. I, I went into Mulholland Drive thinking like, I'm gonna hate this, and I'm gonna hurt Austin's feelings, and I don't want to hate this. But then I'm like, this is pretty good, and I got into it. and I'm like, this is awesome. And then once I, I mean, it, it got weird halfway through. But it's then once weird. I figured out what was going on, I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. And yeah, Naomi Watts is amazing. I, yeah, I fully believe this is David Lynch's masterpiece. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's all of his best stuff. Like it's, it's everything out of his bag at the best. He perfectly captures like the inherent, just dreamlike quality of Hollywood. Of oh, like, this is a place word. unlike anywhere on earth where dreams 
are made, dreams come true and dreams are shattered. Ju- yeah, just with that kind of foreboding shot of Robert Forrester at the beginning as the as the the cop as the yeah. detective, you're like, mm, this isn't this isn't the Los Angeles that they want us to. Oh no! <laughs> and he was Lynch was intending to make this a pilot for a new yeah, series. Yeah, it was going to be a spinoff of Twin Peaks yes. with uh, Audrey Horn going to Hollywood, which whew. which I can see that. Oh yeah, but I like I think the idea to make it a cons- uh, a movie was was better. Always the best decision of his career because it became <laughs> it became this standalone masterpiece. Yes. Whereas if it did have that kind of connection to Twin Peaks, it wouldn't be able to stand alone and be its own masterpiece. So yeah, I I definitely think it was a good call. They can't all be Better Call Saul. Most of the time, <laughs> spinoffs don't really work. Better Call Saul. Talk about a show that definitely <laughs> Vince Gilligan definitely likes him some Twin Peaks. <laughs> Hell yeah. Jesus, man. Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul do some stuff in there, just technically wise. Like the scenes when um, uh, Pinkman's on heroin and just floating, you're like, this is a fucking lynch, you know? This is, well, hats off, well done. (laughs) You know, I once convinced a woman I was Kevin Costner, and it worked because I believed it. (laughs) Genius. Hands down, my favorite thing he's ever said. (laughs) That's so hard. Oh my God. Oh boy. So after Mulholland Drive, he had a weird one that is very difficult to find. Uh, Inland Empire. Yes. 2006. Yeah. Uh, you've seen it. I saw it years ago. It's, you know, got like a lot of his heavy hitters in it, right? You know, D- Dean Stanton and Laura Dern and Justin Threw is in it, just like he was in Mulholland Drive. And uh, don't remember a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's three hours long and yeah. it's, it's nowhere. It's... It's almost like it doesn't exist. I, I think when I watched it, I used to have this uh, um, like streaming app that I would use for sports and movies. I cannot remember what it's called. It was like something dot row. I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember. I don't want to incriminate myself here. But, <laughs> um, that's how I watched it. And that's how I watched a couple of, of Lynch's stuff. That's actually how I first watched the Eraserhead as well. But um, yeah, I, I would have loved to revisit it for this. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't know about it until this morning. <laughs> really? <laughs> I thought we'd had everything I we covered. Ta- I thought we talked about it. I, I don't know. I had never heard of that movie. Yeah, so this is this is the 10th and technically final film that he directed. But then you have, in 2014, The Missing Pieces comes out. Yes. Which is a collection. This is so David Lynch. <laughs> it's a collection of deleted scenes. It's an hour and a half Yeah, of deleted scenes that make up a film. From Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, 1992. So 22 years later, he has a movie come out that's deleted scenes from that to even further string along the fans, hey, here's even more, here's more stuff. And then finally, that brings us to The Return. Yes. 2017, Showtime, uh, 18 episodes. Total freedom, like you said. It's pure Lynch, like heroin. You know, just (laughs) doing whatever he wants. And I fucking love it. I adore it, but it is it is aimless as hell at times. And you got a character named Ducky Jones who makes no sense. And you got all these things happening that I, I really I really do feel bad <laughs> for some for some Peaks fans. Like yourself, Connor. Go ahead. To me, the return signifies a profound loss of 18 hours of my life. Because I went into that thing extremely excited. I was, I had just watched both seasons of Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me. And I was like, I was building towards this. I was like, Oh my God, 
answers. And then I started watching it. I'm like, okay, all right. I guess it's going to take a bit. Okay, there's Cooper. Oh, Dougie Jones, all right. Okay. Is that Belushi? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dougie Jones, we're okay, still here. Okay, so Diane Evans is real. Laura Dern is here, all right. Uh, yeah. We're on episode 16. Why are we still with Dougie Jones? We're running out of time. Am I ever going to see Cooper again? Ah, oh, it's the most infuriating shit, man. I, st- I, have, I still, when I think about the return, I get pissed off. I just remember like, what a jip. I was so pissed. Ah, oh. this is great. It's the, it's the spectrum of, 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 of Peaks fans right here. I was, I loved it. I loved every second of it. There's one particular episode that I even, I even sort of warned you about. I think it's episode eight. It's eight. Yep. It's eight. And that's the episode where you have the Nine Inch Nails just play like a full song. And then there's the episode has nothing to do with Twin Peaks after that. It's it, supposedly it's about like how the demonic the, entities got to our world through yeah, atomic yeah, yeah. testing or something. Yes, the nuclear testing. And then it's, it's a lot of black and white, very eraser head like at times. And then they took over a radio station. I, it's insane. Well, I remember insane. the way you the way you phrased it was like, "Dude, episode eight is insane. You're gonna love it." Did I say? I, yeah, I shouldn't have said you're gonna love it. I should have said it's insane. Because I was expecting, you know, a plot twist, some narrative shit, and then I get there and I watch it. And I'm like, "Oh, I am, I am livid." <laughs> I texted you like, "What was that?" <laughs> <laughs> I should I should not have said you're gonna love it. I should have said it. it's insane. It's so good to unpack all this shit. I've just been sitting on this for months. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. The return. The return is. Um, you you bought it, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> I bought it for like twenty two bucks DVD. I think it's a Canadian DVD. Because <laughs> I didn't have the Showtime app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really wanted to watch it. Yeah, I finally got access to Showtime. Obviously, I'm a big Twin Peaks fan, and this came out in 2017. And I just saw it. I saw it just in March. March and April is when I watched it because I finally got access to Showtime. Uh, through through my girlfriend's mom, she's like, "You guys can use it if you want." I was like, "Oh, Twin Peaks is on there, finally, you know." <laughs> but I've I've always been hesitant because I don't want it to 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 you know hinder or ruin, you know. That always happens, but then it it doesn't do that because it's not in any way connected. It, yes, yeah. So what it's doing is just stringing you along for for longer. And then I I I like you don't like the ending at all. I thought the ending was kind of cool with the lights turning off in the house, in well, the, the Palmer house where you, you know. It's it's a lynch, you know. You're it's like, extreme. Fuck. I don't yeah. want to spoil it because I mean, if you are gonna watch the, ret- it's been three years. But there's nothing we could really say that would even. <laughs> there isn't really. There's no story <laughs> at all. Now, now, I will say with Firewalk with me, there are some things that I'll say as I get into the plot that probably won't make much sense if you haven't seen it. Yeah, but I, I, I understand why you'd be listening if you haven't seen anything David Lynch or Twin Peaks. Yeah, related. There are, there, there'll be some things that you might be confused by, but Fire Walk With Me very much is trying to say say something about Laura Palmer. Yes. Say something about the lead up to her death. And it's that part of the film is brilliant. I, Yeah. Right? Right? Okay. Anyone who, who like loves the you know, art of storytelling can, can just... That mystery of who killed Laura Palmer is ultimate because it's the popular high school girl, beautiful high school girl... Kind of lives in a small town, so you have this one high school where all the kids go to. Uh, very much like small towns here in Texas. Very much like small towns all over the United States. So it just makes sense, right? This Laura Palmer thing. We hear about these stories all the time. It's just that Twin Peaks is this, its own realm. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, yeah, man. I the return is is so Lynch and such an acquired taste, and it, I do feel bad for a lot of Peaks fans. I do, but I love it. For me personally, I can't deny that I was like in heaven. <laughs> All 18 episodes. I'm just happy that I didn't wait like 30 years to see it because <laughs> I feel bad right? for those guys. Yeah, we're, we're younger than the show. We, yeah. 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 I so. mean, if you watched, you know, 1991, you finished Twin Peaks, like if that's the ending. Like, then you watch Fire Walk with me and like, that was neat, but I want more. You're like, Evil Cooper? What? And, and you have to wait till 2017 for that piece of shit? No. Oh, you poor, you poor, poor man. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least I only had to wait like, you know, three weeks. Yeah, I waited. I waited a few years, you know, because I watched. Well, two years, two years. Sorry, or 2017, three years. My bad. Um, but the wait in between Twin Peaks and that for me is nothing compared to, like you said, people who are with it forever. So yeah, I can't really. I don't really have a leg to stand on <laughs> as far as that goes. <laughs> okay, well that takes us through David Lynch's career. So let's talk about Firewalk with me. Yes, let's. So, a little flashback on what exactly Twin Peaks is about. In 1990, David Lynch developed Twin Peaks, premiered on ABC on April 8th, revolved around the brutal murder of Laura Palmer, a popular teenager in the small Washington Washington town of Twin Peaks. FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper is sent to spearhead the investigation, which gets increasingly bizarre over the course of two seasons. And, of course, for most of the show's run, the big question is, who killed Laura Palmer? Yes. We won't describe the entire series on this podcast. That's for another time and another podcast. Wink, wink. But in 1992, after the show was abruptly canceled, Lynch released a prequel film that detailed Laura Palmer's last days and the events that led to her murder. Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. David Lynch wrote and directed the film. Lynch has been nominated for four Oscars in his career. Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay for The Elephant Man. Yes. Best Director for Blue Velvet and Best Director for Mulholland Drive. And he also received an honorary Oscar this past year for his contribution to film. Yes. He also portrays FBI Regional Bureau Chief Gordon Cole in the Twin Peaks universe. yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. Mm. God, I love him. Yeah. The deaf as hell, constantly screaming, Gordon Cole. (laughs) I'm not sure what's going on here. (laughs) Oh, I, yeah. I feel like David Lynch is a pretty normal guy who just really likes to tell weird, st- weird stories. Oh yeah. I, I, I meant to bring up, you know, um, the documentary, the art of life, you know, is a real sincere look into his, his life and his day to day thinking. And he seems, you know, very normal came, came from parents who like loved him and doesn't come from like, seem like too much pain necessarily like, um, from, from, from family and whatnot. So he clearly likes, like you said, likes to explore. Yeah. Uh, how far can my own mind go? And and ultimately, the guy cannot stop creating. He's always doing stuff. A lot of his shorts, uh, as they came out throughout the you know late '90s and 2000s, when the internet was first becoming a thing, he would just release them for free because he's just, I'm going to do this anyway. You know, that was kind of his attitude, and I adore him for that. Yeah, I can appreciate that absolutely. So the film stars Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer. Yes. In the series, she was only supposed to play the corpse of Laura and appear in a brief flashback, but Lynch was so impressed with her performance that he wrote the character of Maddie Ferguson, Laura's twin cousin, Yeah, to bring her back. And uh, Lee has also appeared in such films as Wild at Heart, John Carpenter's Vampires, and Winter's Bone. And she's become the face of this entire franchise, Laura Palmer. 
And uh, oh, yeah. she's fantastic. For somebody who was only supposed to be there for like an episode and a half, she's amazing. Oh, yeah. And uh, as far as performances go of like strung out, like coked out teenagers, it's like one of the best I've ever seen in Firewalk With Me. Oh, she's just so sad. It's fucking, and she's doing incredible work in this movie where you're like, she. it's just a spiral. Oh, yeah. Hardcore spiral. And everyone using her. Everyone taking advantage of her. Yeah. Her only real friend powerless to do anything about it. Yeah. It's, it's depressing. It's depressing. Very. Then we have Ray Wise as uh, reprising his role as Laura's father, Leland Palmer, mm-hmm. my f- personal favorite character from the Twin Peaks universe. I mean, can't argue with that. He's frightening as can be. Even before, spoiler alert, you learn that he killed Laura. It's been 30 years. I'm not apologizing. Well, again, if you're <laughs> listening to this, yeah. You, yeah, you should know. But even before that, he was, you just got this idea that, like, that he was unhinged. Something was wrong with him mm-hmm. when he just showed up with like white hair and just singing that song. Like he, he just was an un like a completely uh, off kilter character mm-hmm. that I really liked. I never thought it was him. Yeah, it's such a yeah. sick reveal. It's it really is. It's it's one of the finer TV moments that I can remember for sure. And uh, Wise also appeared as Doctor Alec Holland in past Filmgasm episodes Swamp Thing. Yes. As well as Jeepers Creepers 2, Good Night and Good Luck, and Batman the Killing Joke. And, uh, yeah, I like that guy. Oh, yeah, me too. He's solid. Dana Ashbrook reprises his role as Bobby Briggs, local douchebag, and Laura's boyfriend and future cop. Would never have called that shit. Bobby. <laughs> I love Bobby. He's, a, he, like you said, a douchebag, the town douchebag. I, I, I think Dana Ashbrook is, is given a hell of a performance throughout, yeah. throughout this whole thing. And he's another guy who, when you think of Twin Peaks, especially like at the early the early stages, when he's just wearing a Letterman and kind of dancing around and smoking, you're like, Twin Peaks. You just think of fucking Bobby Briggs. But the fact that that guy would end up as like a burned out cop. Amazing. And still with Shelly. I didn't, I, I couldn't believe that. And I love Shelly. Yeah. Uh, and he's not even arrogant. He's just like. I know. Part of the team now. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the few bits of the return like, I loved. What happened? Oh, I, I mean, I love Bobby Briggs' whole like. I would love to see what happened. Me me too. Like, how did this guy, the murderer, Mm -hmm. turn into a cop? Yeah. It's just, and this is small town, you know, local cop, not Twin Peaks, Washington, not actual cop. Uh, (laughs) That's not a hard link to follow. Ashbrook also appeared in Return of the Living Dead 2, but Twin Peaks is his big thing. His filmography is pretty weak. It's very weak. He clearly realized playing Bobby Briggs is, yeah, is my thing and my only thing. Musician Chris Isaac plays Special Agent Chester Desmond, Woo! who is sent to the neighboring town of Deer Meadow to investigate the murder of Teresa Banks, which is one of the background things of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Chris Isaac is perhaps best known for his love ballad, Wicked Game, which appeared in the Lynch film Wild at Heart and so many other films. Mm-hmm. It's a great song. Great love song. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's fantastic as uh, Chester Desmond. <laughs> a character that goes absolutely fucking nowhere. Yep. I can't even be mad anymore. It's just who he is. <laughs> it's a great bit, though. Him in uh, Sutherland. Yeah. It's like I'm, you know, squ- it's like I'm squ- uh, shooting a water gun at the ocean. That's what I feel like when I'm complaining about David Lynch. <laughs> I'm achieving nothing. I'm getting through to nobody. <laughs> and I just have to come to terms with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Oh, boy. Joining him is Kiefer Sutherland as Sam Stanley, Desmond's partner. Kiefer is the son of character actor Donald Sutherland and is best known for his role as Jack Bauer on the TV series 24, which ran from 2001 to 2010. Did you ever watch 24? A little bit. Not the whole thing. Uh, never committed to it. The, the whole idea just confuses me. Like, how do you do an enti- entire eight-season run that just takes place over the span of eight days? How do you do that? I don't know. I, I don't know. Every episode is an hour's worth of time. just feels like too complex to keep up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's also appeared in such films as The Lost Boys, Young Guns, Flatliners, The Three Musketeers, and Stand By Me. Mm. And uh, we did Young Guns as one of our early bonus episodes, and that was a good movie. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> much fun. Rock superstar David Bowie plays FBI agent Philip Jeffries, who briefly appears after missing for two years, only to vanish once again. In addition to releasing dozens of hits since the 70s, including Golden Years, China Girl, Let's Dance, Fame, Young Americans, Rebel Rebel, and I'm Afraid of Americans, Bowie has also had a substantial film career, appearing in such films as Labyrinth, The Man Who Fell to Earth, Zoolander, The Last Temptation of Christ, The Hunger, and The Prestige as Nikola Tesla. Yes. And uh, Bowie tragically died in 2016 at age 69 from liver cancer. It was a big shock. But uh, I choose to think that Ziggy Stardust went home. Yes, there you go. That's a great way to put it. (laughs) Moira Kelly portrays Donna Hayward, Laura's best friend. Laura Flynn Boyle, who played Donna in the series, was unavailable due to scheduling conflicts with four other projects. And instead of just not including that character, which is pretty crucial to Laura's story, Lynch went ahead and recast her. Yeah. I, as you you kind of have to in that in yeah that, in that way you, you, like Donna is very essential to that 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 week leading up to yeah. her death. you can't you can't leave her out or else it'd be too many well holes. then then if you leave her out then the whole stuff with James Hurley is completely different yeah yeah Moira Kelly was actually the voice of Nala in The Lion King and she played Karen Rowe on the series One Tree Hill for ninety episodes so those were her claimed claims to fame nice. James Marshall reprises his role as James Hurley, love-struck biker who was sleeping with Laura but was actually in love with Donna. Marshall has also appeared in such films as A Few Good Men and his what I believe to be his finest performance, Air Bud Golden Receiver. Oh, what a classic. <laughs> I, I've never seen that. I just saw that. that I was like, I have some, to put that in. Some here. legendary work there. Do you know there's like eight or nine of those fucking movies? I've seen the basketball one. I think that's I mean, the first one, right? Maybe the baseball one. I don't know. How does a dog play baseball? <laughs> How does a dog play basketball? Basketball, like, I can kind of it, get it in my did. head. But baseball, is there one where he plays golf, too? There's a football one, right? Like, baseball. Frisbee, which is normal. Frisbee would make it. But, like, baseball requires tools. Like, it's a bat. So, so the, the yeah, the, the dog holds the bat in his mouth and swings it. I, I've <laughs> seen, I've seen, yeah, I'll show you pictures. How does this work? It's fucking crazy. It's fucking dumb is what it is. Is there a bowling one? Because that would be just great. Uh, maybe bite. Uh, no, not cycling. What am I saying? Everybody movies. <laughs> cycling. Jesus Christ. I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, soccer, of course. I think there's a volleyball one. Yeah, look. Seventh inning. It's called Airbud's Seventh Inning from 2002. Oh, seventh inning fetch. I remember that title. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Airbud spikes back. Uh. Uh, Airbud buddies. Oh, yeah, we got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, my God. That subgenre, we're in the wrong line of business. Yeah, what are we doing? Uh, Machen Amick reprises her role as Shelly Johnson, waitress and abused wife of criminal Leo Johnson. 
Amick now has a lead role on the CW's Riverdale as Alice Cooper. And it mm-hmm. took me a lot of YouTube searches to find out how to pronounce her name. Because <laughs> it's M-A-D-C-H-E-N-A-M-I-C-K. It looks like Madchen Amick, but I know that's not right. So no, I had it to, can't be it. I had to figure that out. Machen Amick. That sounds reasonable. Longtime character actor Harry Dean Stanton plays Carl Rod, the owner of the Fat Trout Trailer Park in Deer Meadow. Mm-hmm. Stanton has come up a lot on Filmgasm because he's in so much. He's appeared in such films as Alien, Repo Man, The Green Mile, Paris, Texas, Christine, and Escape from New York, among many others. And he passed away in 2017 at age 91 from natural causes. Right after his appearance in The Return. Yeah, right after that, and releasing his... Uh, of one of his rare lead roles in a film called Lucky. Yes, I need to see that. I haven't checked that one out. And I've heard Paris, Texas is excellent, so I would love to check that out one day as well. For sure. Miguel Ferrer reprises his role as skeptic FBI agent Albert Rosenfeld. Oh, man. Ferrer is the son of actor Jose Ferrer and actress Rosemary Clooney, making him the cousin of Oscar-winning actor George Clooney. Ferrer has appeared in such films as Traffic, RoboCop, The Night Flyer, and he's the voice of villain Sean Yu in Mulan. Yes. I did not know that till just now. I was like, what? So epic. That, that's exactly the way I feel about that and picturing that is exactly how I feel about Shawshank and SpongeBob, Mr. Krabs, making that connection and being like, wow, how about that, you know? Clancy Brown. Yeah, I love those actors who just like, you know, have bits and pieces all over the map. Yes. Character actors, they're the best. They're the best. They're our favorites. And uh, Ferrer tragically died in 2017 right after filming The Return. He was 61 years old, throat cancer, big shock. He is just fucking excellent. I love Albert. He didn't give a fuck. (laughs) Oh, no. Right from the get-go, the way he kind of approaches it, and you you got Cooper who's able to kind of balance him out. The way he goes at Truman is amazing, and his banter... Lynch and his banter, you know, uh, Cole and, and Albert is like one of the best parts of the show. Prior to, uh, I had never seen like his father in action, Jose Ferrer, until we watched the Kane Mutiny for Oscar Sunday. I was going to bring that up. And I was like, these... it's, it's the same guy. He looks in, and acts exactly like his the father. Eyes. yeah, man. It's so weird. Crazy. <laughs> and then finally, we have Kyle McLaughlin as Special Agent Dale Cooper, mm-hmm. the always optimistic, black coffee-drinking, outside-the-box-thinking FBI agent who gets things done sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> McLaughlin is one of David Lynch's frequent flyers, having also starred in Dune and Blue Velvet. Lately, he's appeared in such films as The House with a Clock in Its Walls, Capone, and Tesla as Thomas Edison. And he's set to portray President Franklin D. Roosevelt in the upcoming Norwegian series Atlantic Crossing. So mm. that ought to be interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Kyle McLaughlin, I, uh, before I'd watched Twin Peaks, I had only ever seen him as Mr. Hyde on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nice. Where he plays this psychotic scientist who's trying to like make his daughter love him. <laughs> like, love me, I'll kill everything, just love me. It was so off the wall. And then I watched Twin Peaks, I knew he was, you know, that was his big thing. And I was like, I like, I like this guy. Yeah. There's something just charming about Kyle McLaughlin. Like, he's oh just happy, God, to, yeah. he's happy to be there. Uh, especially Dale Cooper, right? Uh, yeah. The coffee, his his tenacity, his tenacity. But he also never like puts down the local law. Never. He, he like yeah. He balances out Albert and Truman and uh, continues to do that throughout the throughout the the series. Even when he comes back in the return, for, 
at the end. It's like, this guy still is balancing out everybody in the room. Yeah, we got to see him for three minutes back in Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a crazy scene. Yeah. I think he won a Golden Globe for the return. Well-deserved. I mean, even uh, though Dougie God. Jones was a waste of fucking space, well, it was a great work performance. At, his, his work as Evil Cooper is crazy at times, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. The arm wrestling match <laughs> was, was awesome. Great. That was crazy. Fucking great. Yeah. I liked when he got shot to death in the in the like in the desert and then just Dude. got the fuck up. Yeah, like oof. Jesus. Well, because that, that's what you're left with right at the end of season two. You're like, oh my god, evil Cooper. Yeah, like Bob, evil Cooper Bob is gonna be possessing like, Cooper. Yeah, and then what? He just goes and like does various like shady dealings across the Southwest. That's what he does with the, with an FBI agent's body. God damn it, David. <laughs> Squirt gun in the ocean. Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me has an IMDb score of seven point three. Rotten Tomatoes score of 64%. It was a box office bomb, grossing only $4.2 million on a budget of $10 million. It has since been reappraised, has become considered to be a cult classic, and was accepted into the Criterion Collection. Yes. So it's, a, it's considered to be kind of a, a movie that got lost. Yeah, for sure. Apparently, apparently uh, at its first screening at, uh, in, in France at Cannes, it, people walked out of it. See, I heard that was a rumor. That's what the... But that's what, what they say. That's what Team Fire Walk With Me yeah. says. Nobody walked out of my movie. <laughs> but everybody on Team everybody on team France Festival that was there is like, no, people walked out. I believe, I believe them, <laughs> yeah. That sucks. I get it, though. Um, yeah, well, yeah, this... Uh, I don't know. This movie is just so tough. We're, if you're just watching it with no reference point, what, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> yeah, so, you are going to yeah. be so fucking lost. Yes. It kind of needs the the build up and the lore of all the years that have passed, and all the fandom and you know conspiracy theories for Firewalk with me to yeah have the life that it does now. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the plot of this thing. Let's do Fire this. Firewalk with me. Here we go. We start out with our man David Lynch, uh, Gordon Cole, and he's sending Chester Desmond, Chester Desmond, and Sam Stanley to investigate the murder of teenage drifter and prostitute Teresa Banks. It's a Blue Rose case. Yes. And Teresa Banks, uh, as far as timeline goes, is killed about a year prior to, to Laura Palmer. She's the first victim of this string. Yeah, and so that's how we ever get Special Agent, FBI Agent Dale Cooper yeah. on the case. This is Cooper's in Twin Peaks following up on this murder. Correct. So this is in Deer Meadow, Washington, whereas Twin Peaks is obviously... Also in Washington. So yes, we're, we're in that region, the, the great Northwest. Have you ever been up there? Uh, I lived up there when I was... Uh, that's right, that's right. When I was like three or four years old, my family, we lived in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I barely remember it. You know, I was a young, young lad. But uh, both my cousins, were, uh, two of my cousins were born there. Uh, I, have, I do have some extended family up there now. I've heard it's beautiful countryside. Personally, I know this is really stupid, but I want to go up there and... Uh, Hunt for Bigfoot. That's my thing. I'm in. <laughs> Let me know. I probably am not going to find anything, but that's where... I'm surprised he didn't bring... Lynch didn't bring Bigfoot into this thing. I know. Maybe we'll go on some kind of weird <laughs> Twin Peaks journey and get lost in the, in the realms. Do a bunch of, of peyote, wander through the woods, uh, and... <laughs> run into the... Run into the giant, and... Yeah, go to the, go to the, the Black Lodge, and we'll just, yeah, get lost. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> Desmond and Stanley, these two guys, this is, this is a uh, Sutherland and Isaac. Yes. And these two guys are, they're fun. They're very different, right? Where you got 
Well, one of them is kind of like the, oh, I'm, you know, I'm the enforcer and kind of like tough guy. And then Sutherland's very much like very smart and very much thinking about everything that's happening. That's yeah, Cooper and Albert, basically. <laughs> it really is. It really is. But even more, almost even more extreme. Yeah. I just love, I love the the touch of Lynch's character always, always yelling. What? I don't know what's going on here. Oregon. <laughs> yeah. It's weird, but it works. My, you are a pretty lady. It's <laughs> so good. So the, this pair, these these detectives, they're going to their new assignment, new assignment through a woman named Leal, who wears an artificial blue rose on her lapel. Connor had just brought that up. Desmond and Stanley view Teresa's body at a morgue. They notice that a ring is missing from her finger and a small piece of paper with the letter T printed under her fingernail. But first they have some real issues with the local law who are a bunch of pricks. Oh my God. Like how the hell, I'm pretty sure you can't do that to the FBI. That's obstruction justice. Yeah. And I I love in missing pieces when we have that fight. Yeah. Between them two and he, yeah, that's, that's, that's fucking awesome. Should have kept that. That guy's such a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Just the Deer Meadow, the Deer Meadow Sheriff does not want to cooperate one bit, man. It's him compared to Sheriff Truman. Not even close. I mean, at first, Sheriff Truman was like, you know, how's this going to work? But Cooper's like, no, man, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. We're, they both, the thing is, Cooper and Truman both realized, we're, we're, this is not a pissing contest. We're here to solve the murder of a, of a woman here. Like, there are bigger things at play. Yes. Whereas Dear Meadow Sheriff was like, you know, you better get the ruler because I'm bigger than you. <laughs> like, that's, what it, that's basically what it was. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man, so good. And, and the, these guys are detectives, uh, one of them Desmond, as they're at the, uh, the trailer park. He, he finds the ring that, that Teresa, that belonged to Teresa. And after that, he, he's taken by uh, a force. Yeah, Bob or the little man or whatever. An unseen force, right? And uh, yeah, then you're like, oh, fuck. We never see him again. <laughs> like, there he goes until the missing pieces when we get to see those deleted scenes and he has the fight with the sheriff from... From Deer Meadow, which should have been in the But movie. in the timeline of things, like, that's the end of Chester Desmond. Yes. There's no more Desmond. Exactly, yeah. And that ring constantly, cir- you know, comes back in everything. Do you, do you get it? Do you get the ring? Not necessarily, yeah. no. Th- symbol of, symbol of what? <laughs> uh, Schwinkter says what? Uh, <laughs> at FBI headquarters in Philadelphia, Gordon Cole... And Agent Dale Cooper, yes, <laughs> experience a brief vision of their long-lost colleague, Agent Philip Jeffries. <laughs> and this is David Bowie, who comes in trotting like a, I don't even know how he's running. And this is one of the more bizarre scenes David Lynch has ever conjured up. Jeffries wanders in there like a spider from Mars, talking yeah. about, we're not talking about Judy, we're never going to talk about her again. And then he fucking fades away. It's the weirdest, well, it's not the weirdest, not with this guy, but... <laughs> It is weird. It's up there. In the realm of weirdosity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, so, you know, the man from another place, Killer Bob, Mrs. Shellfront, and her grandson, Agent Cooper, is sent to Deer Meadow to investigate Desmond's disappearance, but finds no answers. So imagine being Cooper where you see Jeffries saying all this stuff, and then you're sent over here because Desmond's disappeared, and you're like, ah. but, but for Cooper, this is like, here we go, you know? This is like what he lives for. Yeah. Like, Jinky's a mystery. Like, he's, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, he's, he's absolutely nuts. Sometimes I think Twin Peaks is him. He's just crazy. He's just lost his goddamn mind. Maybe it's just Cooper in a padded cell going like, you know, where's Annie? Like, just all that. He's crazy, man. Yeah, I, I believe that. 
man. And that, that brings us, that that's, that's the Teresa Banks bit. And that brings us to one year later in, in Twin Peaks High School Homecoming Queen, Laura Palmer and her best friend, Donna Hayward, are attending school. And I'm not going to lie, the first time I saw this movie, when we cut from the pointless investigation to we're back at Twin Peaks and the music started playing, I, I got a little like, oh, boom, boom. I got a little heart warmed. Like, oh, yeah, we haven't even brought up Angelo. Some amazing music yeah. and obviously is a is a, one of the pillars of this show. Oh, yeah. Lynch's he, he did the music for most of Lynch's films. He's been his go to guy. He's the man. Yeah. I mean, I've had that shit saved on my Spotify for, for years now. <laughs> oh, speaking of there is a filmgasm playlist. If you, you could search that. Oh yeah, we have uh, a lot of our you know films we've covered and Oscar Sunday films that we've covered. Oh yeah, I got like a track from there, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, as many as I could get. Yeah, you can kind of follow our episode count yeah. by listening to the music, so it's really cool. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna you know talk a bit about Twin Peaks the show here because we as we are at Twin Peaks High School and we're seeing Laura in the flesh now. Yes, where we are used to her being just dead. We're used to seeing just her flesh. Yeah, I'm not above dark jokes here. Literally, literally. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it, you know. And her being the, the center of the show, being a dead body, and that's it. And we right away see she's addicted to cocaine. Yeah. She's cheating on Bobby, yeah. who we know is her boyfriend from the show, because in, you don't even need the whole show. You just need the pilot to see that Bobby's one of the first people that they go to to question him about the death of, yeah. of Laura Palmer because he wasn't at football practice in the morning and he because he was with Shelly Johnson, that bastard. Yeah, but she's cheating on him, too. Oh, no, I'm not saying, I'm not like, saying that. They're all fucked no, up. No, everyone in Twin Peaks is fucked. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. He is a bastard. And this is why, this yeah. is why it's interesting in Fire Walk With Me, you're watching the way Laura and Bobby treat each other and they're like, you guys just should be together. Oh, they're so fucking dysfunctional. So Laura is, yeah, she's on coke. She's cheating on Bobby with James Hurley. Yes. And James Hurley is, you know, one of the main players in Twin Peaks. The most and, melodramatic son of a bitch in Washington oh State. Oh my God. <laughs> this guy... <laughs> If mellow, if, if, melodra- if melodrama, is, you know, if it's not around the corner, then he's out. That smolder he's always got. The hair. That goofy ass song he wrote. Yeah. Working for the rich woman. Like, what was, what the hell was with that guy? Fucking James. <laughs> and, and then I, I love how in the, uh, the return, he's like, has that play with the, you know, and he goes to the bar and it's like, dude, get the fuck out of here. That guy dude. has not grown up in the slightest. No, not at all. Now he's the weird 50 year old guy at the bar picking up teenagers. <laughs> oh my God. So as time goes on, we're seeing Laura's kind of like, you know, lifestyle here, how she's just kind of off the rails. Yeah. She discovers pages are missing from her secret diary. Hmm. Interesting. And this is, you know, we know that this is the leak leading up, leading up to her death. And we don't see those pages until the, the return. Yes. And they go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, folks. Just like Lynch, they don't go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had the confidence to write a story that like had nothing but loose ends and didn't tie off any of them. Like I want that David Lynch confidence. Me too, man. <laughs> like I don't give a fuck who reads this. This is for me. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Mrs. Uh, M- Mrs. Chalfont and her grandson appear to Laura. They warn her that the man behind the mask is in her bedroom. Now, if I heard that, hey, hey, Connor, the man behind the mask in your bedroom, you'd be like, whoa. Who? What? <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? True, but I'm also not constantly being assaulted by a shadow man named Bob. Yeah, and on cocaine all the time. <laughs> if that yeah. was the case, I'd probably be like, ah! <laughs> yeah, run for your life. Yeah. 
Which is, you know, and you can see, you can see Laura, you know, it's not just the drugs that are, you know, making her paranoid. No, she's taking the drugs so she can, you know, keep her shit together. Try to escape from this, this, this crazy shit. So Laura, Laura runs home where she sees Bob. Ugh. Oh man. And Bob is, you know, played by Frank Silva. Frank Silva, not even an actor. A guy that Lynch saw him and saw that he, uh, in a hotel room and saw his reflection was like, that guy needs to be my killer. That's fucking awesome. No, yeah. Not, not, not a proper actor before Twin Peaks happened. And Lynch really thought he was frightening looking. And Bob, he is. Yeah. Bob is the only uh, Twin Peaks Funko Pop that I own. Yeah. That's fair. I would like a Dale Cooper, but I can't find one. A, a Leland Palmer one would be really cool when he's like angry. You know, oh, that would be cool. Like, Leland with the, with the white hair and the bulging eyes. Ah, I would love that. That would be really cool. Oh. So that's definitely your favorite character from like the universe, Twin Peaks universe. Leland, yeah. Just because I love his evolution because at first, you know, he's this distraught father. His, his daughter was just murdered and then he just goes off the wall and then he's like super happy for some reason and then he t- turns out he's the one behind all of yes. this. You're like, what? He has such a roller coaster. Yeah. And then in this movie, he's terrifying. Extremely. <sighs> Extremely, yeah. Real fucker. Uh, so, so after, you know, Laura sees Bob, she, she rushes, uh, outside and Taryn sees her father, Leland, emerge from the house. Hmm. That evening, Leland's behavior is erratic and abusive. He accusingly asks Laura about her romances, then tells her he loves her. What the fuck? Yeah. This is what Connor was just talking about, where he's even more roller coaster than the show. This is, he's, he's full blown fucker. Where, and now that you know this stuff, when you watch the show, you're like, mm-mm. I don't believe you one goddamn bit. Well, with this, you know, you can kind of argue that there may not even be a Bob. It's just Laura, just her psyche fractured from years of sexual abuse by her father. That's what this could be. For for sure. And if that's the case, then this is a completely different animal and just way more horrifying. Yeah. But, and and, you know, horror is what we specialize in here at Filmgasm, so... Uh, yeah, you look at it in that angle, you know, that's the thing about Lynch is you can interpret it in any way. That is true. That is true. It's amazing. Yeah. So as Le- you know, Leland's, you know, office rocker, she has a dream. Uh, Laura has a dream about entering the black lodge Cooper and the man from another place, which is, you know, he's the short guy, you know, it's always talking real funky. And, uh, he appears in her dream. The man from another place says, I am the arm revealing his identity as Mike's severed arm and offers Teresa's ring to Laura, but Cooper tells her not to take it. Huh. <laughs> do you follow? Like, like what, what do you think is going on here? Do I follow? Um, <laughs> squirting. Yeah. Squirt gun in the Squirt gun in ocean. the ocean. It's um, a bit. <laughs> I don't. I get why Laura's there. I don't really get how Cooper is there. Uh... In the dream, yeah. I just kind of roll with it. Like, I, I, there's nothing I can do. Okay, so yeah, the reason I say that is because those, those few sentences sound fucking insane. Yes. <laughs> and I'm well aware, and I, I don't have any answers here. Him, the man from the other place, the, the, sh- the shorter guy saying, I am the arm, and revealing his identity as Mike's severed arm. And Mike is the guy at the, at the store with one arm. Yes, okay. Correct. Okay. So he's saying that I am that missing arm. I am essentially a link to this guy, I guess. Okay. And offers Teresa's ring. He has Teresa's ring to Laura in the dream. But Cooper's like, no, don't take it. Like, But Laura does take it. Yeah. And then she wakes up and she's got it. 
Yeah. And that, so that's, that's unnerving. Where, so that's where I think even more so your thing comes into play of like, she's losing her mind. Yeah. She was but, holding that ring the whole time. But that's tangible evidence that this might be interdimensional. That play. the Black Lodge might be real. Because that was Teresa's ring. So how did Laura Palmer get a hold of Teresa Banks's ring if she didn't get it from the little arm man? <laughs> that's... I don't. I think that backs up the idea that this is real. That this is all really happening. Bob's real. The man is real. The, the Black Lodge is real. All of it's real. It's so weird. <laughs> so bizarre. That's just a. That's that's definitely an important bit. You know, if you're trying to like really look into it. Yeah. Weird. My God. We're gonna break open Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Laura, Laura sees I Annie Blackburn next to her in her bed, covered in blood. Whoa, Annie. Annie tells Laura to write in her diary that the good Dale is in the lodge and cannot leave. Laura sees the ring in her hand, but when she wakes up, it is gone. There you go. See, that, I think, is the thing that infuriated me the most about the return. We never saw what happened to Annie. Like, I was really hoping she would be, like, she'd be back, she'd be fractured a little bit, Mm -hmm. she would be the one to help them get Dale back, something like that. But nope. Maybe Heather Graham wasn't available. Yeah, she's doing other stuff. I, is, is Heather Graham in stuff anymore? Like, I feel like I don't see her anymore. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. She was my childhood crush. Oh, yeah. I mean, Austin and then, well, too. Well, and then like, as time went on, you get older and then you see like Boogie Nights and you're like, oh man. Dude, if I knew as a kid that she did a movie where she was a porn star, I, it would have been Christmas. <laughs> if, yeah, as Roller Girl. Yeah, come on. Get the hell out of here. I don't know where she's been. The last thing that was like huge that I remember her in was The Hangover. And that was, that's been a while. Yeah, you're right. Like, so I don't know like what she's over doing. Over 10 years a while ago, yeah. I don't know what she's doing. Oh, man. Anyways, uh, back, to, back to good old Laura Palmer here who's just going off the rails still. She goes to the Roadhouse. Roadhouse is somewhere that obviously appears as shit town in The Return. And it's gotten a lot more uh, hardcore since, <laughs> since ABC. No kidding. <laughs> good Lord. You got Nine Inch Nails apparently play there all of a sudden now. Uh... <laughs> So she's, go- she's going there to meet her drug connections because she needs more cocaine. Uh, and she wants to have sex with men for money. Uh, and she's joined by Donna, her, her good friend, her best friend, it seems. God. But she's not really a good friend. Uh, <laughs> They're both not great. I mean, you don't take yeah, your no. best friend to go, you know, fuck around with you at a whorehouse. Yeah, like, hey, you want to come hang out? Jesus. Roadhouse. Laura discusses Teresa Banks' murder with Renette Pulaski. Mm. That's a name. That's a name. We'll definitely talk about that in a minute. When she sees a topless Donna making out with a stranger, a distraught Laura takes her home and begs Donna not to become like her. The next morning, Philip Gerard, the one-armed man, possessed by the repentant demon, Mike, in attempt to warn Laura about her father and Bob, pulls up alongside Leland's car and shows Teresa's ring to Laura. I love how straightforward he is. He's like, it's your father! Mm-hmm. Right there! And that's a bit of acting from, from Ray Wise, just the reaction he had. Oh, the sitting Oof. there, like, shaking? Yeah. Jesus! That's a spectacular scene. Absolutely. Underrated as hell. There's, it's the little ticks in his performance that really stand out to me. Ugh. Man. And then and then you you really get, get, get pissed off here because Leland recalls his affair with Teresa. But in that scene also, like, Laura is like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? Yeah. Who is that? What is wrong with you? Even I'm losing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> God. Jesus. <laughs> he had asked Teresa to set up a foursome with some of her friends, but fled after discovering Laura was one of them. <sighs> Woof. Teresa realized who he was and plotted to blackmail him. And so he killed her. Mm. It's all so, coming together. 
so yeah, it comes together and that's, that's where, you know, the, uh, Leland being the, the, the killer of all these girls and Cooper really just trying to find him. Ultimately he's trying to find Leland Palmer, uh, in the show. Cause he's the one who killed Teresa Banks and killed his daughter. Right. Yep. Man, just some mind blowing stuff. When that, that part happened, I was like, Whoa, this movie's pretty crazy. It actually gave, gave me something as a, as a peaks fan. It really gave me something. Why couldn't Lynch do this with the return? I, I, I know, man. I know. I know. I know. Definitely. I had those thoughts where I was like, I feel like this kind of magic right here where he's really fucking with the narrative and really giving us some, some, some tangible stuff here. I, 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 yeah, part of me does wish that, but then you have the, you know, well, it's 25 years after and all these actors are older and whatnot. They're all still fucking in it. Yeah, they're all in it. They're all in it. It's just this, this, the, the prequel idea of doing the leak, the leak, the week leading up is so smart. True. Very so true. So smart. And it gives Cheryl Lee some real time to shine. Sure. Chops. And she's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Move, moving along here. One night, Bob comes through Laura's window and begins to rape her. Oh boy. Only to transform into Leland. That is one of the most terrifying scenes and her reaction is heartbreaking. I mean, yeah, you wake up, your father is raping you. What do you... Ugh. There's no way this woman isn't completely fucking broken before she gets murdered. Yeah, so she just starts doing even more cocaine, more drugs, and... Bobby breaks up with Laura, and she then ends her relationship with James and goes to a cabin in the woods for an orgy with Renette, Jacques, and Leo. Leo Johnson is Shelley Johnson's husband, who, uh, Shelly is, you know, the girl that Bobby's messing around with. I just want to point out Bobby's phone call to Leo earlier in the movie where he's like, hey, <laughs> just checking on Santa Claus. Yeah. He's like, you owe me five grand. Are you yeah. telling me there's no Christmas? Like, just, yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so goofy. Bobby. <laughs> I love it. Oh, boy. Le- Leland, of course, you know, he's not down. He follows, follows her there and takes her and Renette to an abandoned uh, train car. Yep, that's where they, yep. That's where it all happened. Laura asks Leland if he is going to kill her, and he transforms into Bob and tells her that he intends to possess her. Bob beats Renette unconscious. Mike, who tracked the Bob-possessed Leland to the train, throws Teresa's ring into the train car. Laura puts it on, which prevents Bob from possessing her. Enraged, Bob stabs Laura to death. The Bob-possessed Leland places Laura's body in the lake. Dum-dum. And then you have Twin Peaks. God right? Damn. That's the idea, right? Is yeah. that, okay, there's Twin Peaks happening and that's how she died. God. And that's how we get the opening the whole show is, is that. As her corpse drifts away, the Bob-possessed Leland enters the Red Room where he encounters Mike and the man from another place who demands their share of pain and sorrow. As Laura's body is found by the Sheriff's Department, Agent Cooper comforts her spirit in the lodge. When Laura sees an angel that had previously disappeared from her bedroom painting, she begins to cry and laugh at the same time. And that is Fire Walk With Me. Holy shit. A prequel that I would say is very, very strong. Yeah. And as its own film has a lot to say. And then you add the fact that it adds so much to Twin Peaks and the lore. It is awesome. I agree. I, my only real beef with it is the, the Desmond Stanley parts. Like you don't the need The beginning. That. Yeah. That all doesn't add up to anything. You should They should have just started at Laura. If that was the case, I, I think I'd like this a lot more. But as it yeah. stands, I give it a seven. Yeah, I, I give it an eight. A solid, solid eight. Um, missing pieces, I gave a nine. I like loved how that was constructed. 
the uh, deleted scene, the deleted scenes. I thought that was, I've never seen that, that, that done before. We're an hour and a half of movie. I know you weren't into it, but I didn't even review that. Cause I didn't consider it a film. You didn't know. How, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't even know where to start. I'm like, fuck it. I can't. Yeah. Our, I reviewed that one. You reviewed far walk with me. We kind of, you know, you did all these other Lynch films. So yeah, kind of all over the place. Yeah. I believe you have a review up from a hole and drive. Yes. Cause yeah. it's a 10 for me. And I wanted that in my hall of tens. Yeah. Right on. Here's some film guys and facts for Fire Walk With Me. Yes. Number one, according to writer Robert Ingalls, he and director David Lynch originally conceived this film as the first in a series of films exploring the mythology of the Black Lodge. To that effect, the two inserted, uh, they inserted four characters as outs with which to continue the story. Agent Cooper, Agent Jeffries, Major Briggs, and Agent Desmond. So they were going to kind of be the branch outs for like an epic franchise. The critical and box office failure of the film, however, caused Lynch to abandon plans for sequels. But it's cool that he had such a grand design for Twin Peaks. Like, yeah. it was going to go everywhere. Oh, I think... I don't think it could ever end in his mind. No. I think he could, if you gave him however much content or however many hours of runtime, I think he could take it wherever he wants. It's so organic and... And each character he's left up for interpretation to where yeah, I could go so many ways. Any character. Take Hawk, for example. Fascinating character. What was his 20s like? You know what I mean? Yeah. How did he become a cop? Uh, when did he move to Twin Peaks? Is he from here? Like, I want to know more about that map he has. <laughs> uh, he's fascinating. And, and the, Tr- the Truman Brothers. Uh, rest in peace, Robert Forrester. You know, you, every character has kind of like that mystery behind them of like, fuck, how did you get here? Major, Why are you a part oh yeah, of this? Major Briggs running an, a UFO investigation yeah. team. I mean, what? A Briggs, a Briggs family. Shout out to Alice and Janie fucking killing it in Twin Peaks before her, you know, career takes off. Uh, the Briggs family, if they had a show about them, I'd watch the hell out of it. <laughs> how do you fuck up a teenager so bad that he ends up like killing a guy and dealing cocaine and then becoming a cop and then becoming a cop? Whoa. Well, Major Briggs was dealing with UFOs. That's why. Yeah. My God. <laughs> Number two, the numerous prominent actors in the film, including Kiefer Sutherland, David Bowie, Harry Dean Stanton, and Jurgen Prochnow, who we didn't really talk about that much at all. <laughs> True, he didn't come up in the plot there. My apologies. Uh, they played small parts for almost no money because they were all fans of Twin Peaks and or David Lynch's other work. Same went for Chris Isaac, but he had previously collaborated with Lynch when Lynch directed the music video for Wicked Game and later used the song in Wild at Heart. That's cool. So him and Chris Isaac had kind of a working friendship. Fuck yeah. Number three, there's a very good reason why parts of the movie may seem nonsensical. Oh, all right. (laughs) This better be a good reason. According to writer Robert Engels, this film was meant to be only the first entry in a planned trilogy of sequel films that would have wrapped up the unfinished storyline from Twin Peaks, the series. The film, this film was the prequel. The next film in line was supposed to be the first proper sequel and resolve the cliffhanger ending of the show, as well as focus on the doppelgangers in the Black Lodge. The reason I'm sounding so sad here is because that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> if this had just been a moderate success, they would have made that movie. Yep. Damn it! Major Garland Briggs was supposed to go looking for the real Dale Cooper. More doppelgangers would have shown up in town. Agent Philip Jeffries was supposed to explore the second portal to the Black Lodge that's located in Argentina. And this would have led to the discovery of several more such portals 
yes. located around the world. The enigmatic woman called Judy, who Jeffries mentions in the film, was supposed to be Josie's sister. Ah! Son of a bitch! Ah! Oh, damn it. Unbelievable. We could have, this could have I been know. just so cool and concise. Nope! Nope, not, not what you got, Connor. Yeah. And number four, <laughs> you're going to love this. Quentin Tarantino said in a 1992 interview, quote, After I saw Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me at Con, David Lynch had disappeared so far up his own ass that I have no desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear something different. And you know, I loved him. Yeah, I know. I love that quote. <laughs> love that quote. <laughs> I loved him. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, seven. Uh, it's nice to see a number of loose ends from the show tied up, and it's cool to see exactly what happened to Laura Palmer. But there's just, it looks like he was trying to make two completely different movies at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. But that's just me, you know? There's that happens That happens a lot with Lynch, though. Yes, it fucking does. And that, that covers Fire Walk With Me for us on the yeah. podcast. Uh, before we get into a special movie draft... I want to take this time to reflect on 100 episodes of this podcast. We started blind with no real plan in place for what we wanted. Our style, our chemistry, and our vision for the show just kind of evolved over time. Uh, Personally, I think our big turning point was episode 24, uh, Jaws, where I think we realized we could take the same prep and care that we put into our Weird Shit Wednesday episodes and put it into every single episode that we do. And from then on, you know, Austin became a permanent co-host, and we never looked back. Yeah, man. Uh, very, very important, you know, movies that I would like to call pillars of film guys and that happen and just kind of influence us and inspire us and change things for the podcast and just for us as fans. Yeah. You know, just in, inspire us to do more and say more and, and have more content. It's awesome. It's cool, you know, 100 episodes in, we've discovered so many different filmmakers, so mm-hmm. rediscovered so many different films. Yes. And really gotten to just talk about this stuff and unpack. Like, you know, we got to, I got to unpack a you know, month's worth of anger towards Twin Peaks in this episode. Yeah. I feel a lot freer. I don't know about you, but I feel nice. Oh, I feel great. Any, <laughs> any chance, you know, I, um, you know I, I wanted to say this about Twin Peaks in general, and, and this kind of just goes in line with what we're talking about with what we're trying to do with here at the podcast, with the podcast. Shows like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and The Sopranos, and there's space for these, right? Just in your, your workplace and with your friends and maybe with your parents or whatever it may be, because everyone watches it. I, being a massive Twin Peaks fan, I don't have that space as often as I want to talk about Twin Peaks because not as many people have watched it. I've gone through the actual work to watch all the episodes. And so when you get an opportunity to make space and time for something because you think it deserves that, it's really, really special. And I truly have always wanted to talk about Twin Peaks in depth and movie and Lynch and whatever it may be, wherever the conversation goes. So I've had an absolute blast doing this episode. And I want to continue to do that in regards to creating space for movies and TV and just art, just that medium of a film, right? And the fact that we have space for Fire Walk with me when at the beginning of this thing, we had no idea where exactly it was going to go is so cool. And the fact that this weekend on Oscar Sunday, we're going to be able to talk about Chadwick Boseman and the black Panther and get on up and 42 and all that great stuff that he did. It's cool that we have that space as well. And we want to continue 
my goal and your goal and Filmgasm's goal is to create space for every movie that has ever existed, right? You, you want to have a conversation about everything because you want to be fair. You want to give it that as above, so below is a more recent one that we did that we both were like, ah, shit. And then we both liked it a lot. And this is what the beauty of art is, right? Is re reevaluating it, seeing it for yourself, sharing it, and creating space to talk about it. That's that's always what we want to do here. And I think we've done a good job so far. Yeah. But we can do better, and we're gonna do, and we're gonna continue to do so. Yes, indeed. We never could have done Firewalk with me in like our first twenty. We needed all of that, all of these episodes. We needed Drag Me to Hell and Roman Polanski and Jaws and Halloween and Escape from New York. All of that. And everything else had to happen so we could be experienced enough to venture into a full episode on David Lynch. Yeah. And I'm very happy with how this turned out. Yeah, me as well. And, you know, I mean, like like next week, we're doing something huge. Yes. Absolutely massive. And it just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. You know, episode 101 is just as important as episode 100. That's how we treat it. Each one is, is important. We had no idea that Drag Me to Hell, I love that you pointed out, would, would cross the marker of 10,000 views on YouTube. We <laughs> yeah. didn't know that, but we try, to give, we try to give that passion and that dedication to each episode because each movie, whether we love it or not, deserves that attention and that conversation. Yeah. I mean, we fucking hated, you know, Exorcist 2, yeah. the Swamp Thing, yeah. but we did them. We gave them the full treatment. We went through everything. We talked about the cast. We talked because someone film. might like it. Someone might. It might be somebody's favorite movie. And they hear us talk about it. And they're like, "Well, this is you know, this is why I disagree." And it's, so it's great to have yeah. to, to bring that shit up. We and even let, had and to let know, people know that we're watching it too. Yeah, we had the rare occasion where we disagreed, like Midsommar, for instance. Yeah, we still heavily yeah. disagree on that one. We disagree on some lunch stuff. Yeah, like, obviously, exactly. And it's nice to have you know a space to do this, but also a space where we know. We're not going to be judged for our likes and dislikes, and we're not going to judge anyone else's. Is art in you know in the end, it's it's all subjective. It's oh, all yeah. you know. My opinions worth just as much as Austin's. Yeah. His opinions worth just as much as Josh's or Caleb's or and all of our listeners. All of our listeners. Yeah, it's it's a nice. It's nice. It feels good to do this. Yeah, because it, you know you get caught up, right? Uh, Connor and I are doing all you know. And Connor's really doing all the legwork here, and you know, writing the scripts and releasing these and making sure they sound sound good and. Not to mention our website is like always has a new review up every day. That's the goal. And new articles and, and whatnot. And we, we really don't want to stop. So sometimes it, you got to stop and kind of process and look at what you've done so far and be proud of it and be like, hey, this is why you, this is why you do it. Yeah. And I, I just I couldn't be more proud, man, of where we're at so far. But I, I do think there's just bigger and better things in store for, for Filmgasm as a whole. And uh, we, we definitely want to bring, you know, Josh and Caleb along and want to try to make our team grow and get more people who are just super passionate. Cause we want to create a community that loves this shit. That's what we want. Um, and we, we hope you guys are just down, down for it or yeah. along for the ride. We're going to keep doing, you know, strange, bizarre films on this podcast and keep doing Oscar nominated films on Oscar Sunday. And, uh, hopefully down the road, we can keep adding stuff and keep sharing stuff and keep, keep creating space for everything to be talked about. We've already started talking about, uh, the future, and uh, adding a possible uh, third series yeah. in the in the near future. Mm -hmm. um, more on that later when we finally have everything figured out. But we yeah. are talking about it. It, it. Connor and I are always talking, aside from just the podcast in general, just like what we want to do with our, our lives. And 
you know, nothing's guaranteed and we know this and we, we, we just want to share our passion while we're here. Uh, while we get to, while we get to get to do this, get the privilege to, to make a podcast and share our thoughts. We just like, a, there's like a passion burning in both of us. So we, we're just going to keep doing it as much as we can. <laughs> Uh, until until someone says stop, <laughs> kind of like what Tarantino said about Lynch. <laughs> until someone says otherwise, when we finally have our heads up our own asses, we'll probably we'll stop. <laughs> and yeah, and 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 I uh, that's again we're doing all the legwork, but we we really do want to include. We want it to be a community, and we want our listeners to be a part of that. We, we love if people comment on stuff or, or send us anything, or if, uh, for fuck's sake, if there's a 2020 movie that you think we should have done or should do throw it at us we are always open to suggestions on either show oh my god yeah we I, yeah we appreciate that. nothing's really until the week of like set in stone we are We're, so loosey-goosey with the schedule things fluid, are always changing yeah flexible and fluid and progressive and and, and liberal here at, at film guys we've gotten so good at cranking these out that we could do you know if something comes up we could knock it out in a week we could do it yeah so if there's something you really 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 want us to do just let us know Reach yeah. out on email or comment on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and, you know, just let us know. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put it into consideration. We'll look into it, see if we think it'll be a good episode. Most of the time we say, yeah, because anything goes. Yeah. Especially if, if, if one of you, someone who is listening to us wants to hear our thoughts on something, oh, we'll give it to you. I mean, yeah. fuck, you know, yeah. If there's any, especially like a 2020 film, right, that maybe we just missed or don't quite know about, it's, under the radar, yeah, we'd love to hear about it. And it doesn't have to be horror. It could be action, sci-fi, genre, comedy, genre, drama, yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, I think I say that a lot more than I should when I just say genre film. Like, not when I say that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Is is you know the the, the weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the weird stuff. Uh, yeah, the, the horrors, the 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 actions, and all that all sci-fi, that good, fantasy, the good juicy stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the stuff that you know award shows and critics tend to dismiss. They just throw the technical side. Yeah. And uh, I will say this about our possible third show. It will be based around television. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, we feel as though, again, the space for television, clearly we like it a lot. Twin Peaks, we talked about Breaking Bad when we did El Camino. And we've opened up about TV before. Yes. We both like film substantially more. That's just where we're at as fans. With movies, it's beginning, middle, end. Let's talk about it. Bam, like we just did with Firewalk With Me. And Twin Peaks, we're gonna need a whole whole goddamn day to talk about, and and with TV, where where are you at? Where, what episode are you on? Uh, <laughs> movie, it's like you know, it's again beginning, middle, end. Talk about it, it's over, you know. And I love that about it, but that doesn't mean we don't like TV or even love some TV. So we want to create again space for TV to be talked about, yeah, and to be heard. Not and we're not just talking about shows like Twin Peaks and Breaking Bad. Yeah. Oh no. We're talking about TV, all things. So if, if we do this, like you said, we, we want to roll it out correctly and we want to we wanna really nail down what the goal is with, with, with that. But like you said, it'd be centered around TV for sure, but not one kind of TV, all TV. Yes, anything goes, just like Filmgasm and Oscar Sunday. Exactly. It's a fluid, flexible process, just like the other podcasts. And we're also uh, in the early stages of possibly bringing some new, uh, new blood to the team. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to some people, uh, some friends of ours who might end up uh, on the team. Yeah, we had a nice uh, nice meeting uh, with with some people and wicked excited to see where that goes. Yes. Uh, very cool people and they have their own ideas of what they want to bring to our, our, you know, our 
franchise here of what we're, what we're <laughs> trying to do, our brand. But again, we won't roll that out until we're 100% sure, 100% exactly. ready to actually present something. But the point is, we're, we're working and we're, we're, we're trying to come up with even more new things. Yeah. To, so that I, I want any kind of movie, TV fan, whatever, to have a place to come to Filmgasm. You can come to Filmgasm Productions. We have something for you. And that's our goal is to, to kind of have a place for everybody. Yeah. Because we, we, that's what we are, right? We're the weirdos. We're like the guys that are at a Black Keys concert. We're like, none of them make sense. The people at Black Keys concert, you're like, this guy dresses that way. That guy dresses that way. Black Keys fans. They don't make any sense. That's what we are with movies where we don't dress a certain way. We don't just pick these kinds of movies. We, we love it all. All of the art. Just fucking give it to us. <laughs> that's, that's, that, I've always seen you and I as, as that. Well said. That's great. I love that. Well, I know you love the Black Keys too, so yeah. Yes, I, I do. I feel like it was an easy reference. <laughs> I'd like to thank this oppor- I'd like to take this opportunity to thank a number of people. First yes. up, uh, Caleb Leger and Josh Allred for their many reviews, and in Josh's case, various guest appearances. Yes, you guys are an integral part of this team, and I can't wait to finally do a roundtable. We have everybody here. Oh, it's gonna be great because we're gonna have to pick a movie to do. We're gonna, you know, finally, finally get all four of us uh, talking at the same time, and that'll be that'll be a really cool day. I've already picked the movie. I know. And it's going to be a bonkers one because it's very much going to be me and you versus them. <laughs> I, I, I figure. I figure that's the way we got to do it. All right. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> next up, my awesome cousin, Ryan Leone, for providing us with holy original theme music. The theme kicks ass, man. Way to go. Yeah, dude. It, it's become like second nature where, you know, you hear you hear our names and then, blah, 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 you know, thank you, Ryan. We, we, we definitely appreciate it. It's definitely become a part of our show. Next, I'd like to thank my awesome co-host, collaborator, and good friend, Austin Johnson. I couldn't do this without you, man, and I wouldn't want to. Ditto. <laughs> like, likewise, my man. I, you, you, said, you had said earlier there's no way we, we could be doing, you know, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, uh, you know, on episode 20 or whatever, right? And there's, just, there's just no way we could, could have gotten here any other way than, than what we've done with the Technically 138 episodes and the, all, the 13 Oscar Sunday episodes. And before all of that happened, you and I got together and did some YouTube videos of talking actors and doing these different things, just feeling each other out as movie fans. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a journey. And, but we've gotten, each other, we've gotten to know each other so fast and so easily and so quickly that, that yeah, this show is like the best part of my week and is my place to kind of my outlet to talk about things and talk about my favorite thing in the world, which is movies. Me too, man. Thank you for doing this with me for a hundred episodes. Here's to a hundred more. Oh yeah. Easily a hundred more. No question. Well, 62 more, (laughs) (laughs) which is easy, right? We, we talk about Connor and I always talk about these kind of milestones, but at the end of the, like usually we're just doing it. Usually we're just like doing it. And half the time we're texting each other about what other films we're watching, not just the films for our podcast. It's just, (laughs) It doesn't stop. You know, we we're writing reviews for all kinds of shit that we're not going to even talk about on the podcast. No. It does not stop in our brains. And, and we hope that we can bring you guys along. Well, my us. hope is that, you know, with the stuff I watch on the side, I can bring that into the show, to the conversation. I can say like, oh, I watched this last week and that has a brief connection to this. So it just, it's constantly building the palette. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. Now, a movie I just, my, my most recent review on the site is Time Me Up, Time Me Down. By, by Pedro, and, you know, that's the movie that has the NC-17 rating because they went to court because they were going to make it an X rating here in the United States, and Pedro was like, fuck you guys, there's no way. 
Scarface came out in 1983 and shows Al Pacino, one of the biggest stars in the United States, snorting cocaine and shooting people in the face, but I can't show Antonio Banderas having sex. Those those things I'm very interested in watching and finding out why, you know, and especially that, that foreign stuff. That's the kind of shit I'm doing in my own time. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's for both of us. That's what we're doing nonstop. And I've started uh, going back to the movies gradually. Yeah. And uh, my most recent non-podcast-related epi- uh, review was for The Personal History of David Copperfield. Yes. Dev Patel. very wholesome comedy uh, written and directed by Armando Iannucci. And I thought it was great. I had no prior knowledge of David Copperfield. I had uh-huh. never read any Dickens. But the movie is crafted in such a way that you don't need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I loved about it, and I've never seen this in any movie ever, and I hope I see it in every movie I ever see again. Colorblind casting. Nothing, race does not matter. The, you know, this, the rich character, the rich female character is a black woman. She has a white son. Uh, Dev Patel is, is Indian. He's, his mother is white. His stepdad is white. Uh, he's dating, his, the woman he loves is black and her father is Asian. It's just the characters. Yeah. Race does, never comes into play. I've never seen that before and I thought it was the most amazing thing. Yeah. And I think we need to embrace that for every film we make from now on. Like, it was so cool. Refreshing. It was very refreshing. And it, yeah. was, it was brilliant. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I definitely want to see that. Oh, so, you know, things like that. Like That movie will probably never come up on either podcast, but the fact that I saw it, you know, I can bank that. I can say, you know, I saw that. And yes. that might come up at some point. Yeah, it, well, it, it, you just never know. You might you never fucking know. love it. You never know. You might know. love it. I just, I, I think I actually talked about this film at one point. I know I've talked to you about it. Uh, 2011's uh, A Separation. Yes. For like a month now, I've been trying to watch it. And I started it and I was like, uh-oh, this is going to be intense. I'll save it for another time when I'm a little more aware. Finally got around to finishing it and write, you know, I wrote a review for it. And holy hell, you know, I'm, I fell in love. And it's one of the more astonishing dramas I've seen ever. And these are the things that happen when you just take your chances and, and go for it. Immerse yourself. And especially when you... You know, talking about the theater, something that I, what I miss so much about it is the, the forced, you're forced to immerse yourself because there's nothing but a giant ass screen and dark and it's dark. So you, even if you're not totally into it, or if you don't know what's going on, like Copperfield, doesn't matter. You're immersed into this experience with this movie, no matter what, you can't look anywhere else. It's a giant screen right in front of you. So I, I totally miss that, like immersing yourself into stuff, but I, I feel, you know, mature enough in my film watching life that I really do do that. I throw myself into stuff. A a great example would be Z, our most recent Oscar Sunday episode, really got involved in that movie and just kind of got lost for a couple hours. And that's, that's the whole goal, right? Is to immerse yourself into, into film and art and learn shit. Yes, indeed. And, uh, I fully intend this weekend to go see Tenet. Yeah. Uh, I can't speak for you. I understand, you know, no. you, you have a daughter. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be going until... I have nothing to lose. Yeah. <laughs> so fuck it. I'm going to go see Tenet. <laughs> and the way that, you know, our local theater is doing it, they're being very smart. Embassy, right? Embassy, Santico's Embassy. Santico's is definitely, yeah, ahead yeah. of the game. Hmm. Masks are required. The theater, they're blocking out every two seats. I have never not felt safe. I felt very comfortable. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give them, I'm going to keep giving them business because God knows they need it right now. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see Tenet. Hell yeah. 
Christopher Nolan. It's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, don't know when I'll be able to see that, which is you know disappointing for film guys and listeners because that's definitely a film we should be doing um, right when it comes out. But I, I, I just I can't go. It's, I understand. It's a you know a decision me and my girlfriend made for together, and yeah, I just don't I, I don't feel it's one hundred percent necessary for me to go to the theater. Like yeah. I said, you have nothing to lose, sort of thing. So it's like, let's go. Yeah, and I and I totally understand your reasoning. So I yeah. I, I don't see a problem with, e- with either decision. And uh, finally, I just want to thank all of you who have ever listened to even a single episode of either the Film Guys yeah. and Podcast or Oscar Sunday. Mm-hmm. It means the world to us that there are people out there who want to hear what we have to say about movies. And I'm very thankful that I get to do this every week. So thank you guys for keeping up with us. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I echo that. We we appreciate it very much, and 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 it's it's something that I you know don't take lightly, right? You know, when we do this homework for, for episodes and we watch all this stuff, p- part of it's because we love it, and because movies are our favorite thing. But it's also to 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 come and give you a good show. Yes, and to to do our homework, to do our proper work or legwork, and come in knowing what's going on, have context, and we, we try to do that in every episode for. For fuck's sake, when we did John Wayne, I was miserable. I was like, man, I gotta watch another Western that's the exact same as the last <laughs> one I watched. I don't remember a lick of any of those movies. Fair enough, fair enough. You know, you know, but we but we did it. We did. We did it, and now I can say that truthfully. I'm not just going in blind saying John Wayne movies suck. You've I'm seen saying it, that yeah. because I've seen about eight of them and I don't like them. <laughs> so yeah. You know that that's that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here, and it's you know again, it's for fun, but it's also to give you guys a good show. Yeah, I subjected myself to everything David Lynch ever did. Yeah, and I never would have fucking done that a year ago. <laughs> one, one of these days for this podcast, I am going to have to watch every Star Wars movie, and I'm not looking forward to that day, but I will do it. <laughs> I will do it. The ratio of good to bad is pretty good for Star Wars. I mainly, I, I don't know. It, it's just such a tough thing to go to a road to go down because their fans are so intense. Yeah. They're yeah. so intense. So when you're like me and you're not like mega into it, but then you're trying to get into it, they're like, no, 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 no you're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like metal fans. Metal fans don't want you in their group. And you're like, why? What's wrong with me? Just because I listen to this other genre doesn't mean I can hang out with you guys. They want to be like, no, like this is our thing. I don't like that. Fuck the gatekeepers. Everything is for everybody. Exactly. That's why I brought up the black keys. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) And I'm excited to eventually one day, you know, do Star Wars because it'll be a really cool, you know, be me experience growing up with it versus you discovering it for the first time. That'll be a very interesting conversation. I've seen them all, but I wasn't paying attention half the time. That's why I'm considering you a novice. Yes. I would say, (laughs) I would say the one, like all the recent ones I've seen, you know, and I, I like Force Awakens. I think that one's pretty good. Rogue One is probably my favorite Star Wars movie ever, like a sta- as a standalone movie. It's more like a war movie than anything. But I, I don't really like any of the episode one through six. I don't really like any of them. They've got moments, but I don't like as a film, there's none of them that I'd be like, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies, you know? And I know that's obviously going against the current. <laughs> I like uh I like some other big 70s, 80s stuff though. You know, I love Indiana Jones. I, yeah, Star Wars is uh, well. We'll get there. It's it's a um, like I said, one day we'll do it. If you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, or if you're not really familiar with it, or if you don't like it, it's really hard to explain it. Uh, it's just kind of like David Lynch. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, 
So maybe I'll be on that side of the conversation when we do you that. Will, you will be. Yeah, you will be. Oh. So, when, we, when we go down the line of the movies, you're going to be the one, you're going to be the one like this one, right? And I'll be like, no. Yeah, I know background characters' names. I know like races. Yeah. I was very much a Star Wars geek growing up. Uh, so now let's do, let's do a David Lynch themed movie draft. Let's do it. Instead of picking from 92, which is what we would usually do. Yeah, which is a fucking stellar. I know. But we'll get it one day. Mm. We'll get it one day. I'm not worried about that. Since it's a special occasion, we're going to draw from a selection of David Lynch's films, most of which we've both seen. So pretty much everything but Inland Empire. And uh, we're going to try and see which of us can gather the better collection. So let's read off those films. The Uh, 1977 is Eraserhead is the first one. Elephant Man. After that would be Dune. Blue Velvet. I'm going off memory here. Wild at Heart. <laughs> Fire Walk With Me. Lost Highway. Mulholland Drive. Inland Empire. Well, did I miss one? I... Did you well, say Elephant Man? I didn't. I think... And Straight Story. And Straight Story. Yeah, yeah. You, I knew I knew you, I missed Straight Story. You missed, I might have said Elephant Man after you raised your head. You, I don't know. You missed the conventional ones. <laughs> Straight story. That's hilarious. Yeah, so we're, so we're going to draft uh, three each, right? Yes. Three each out of these ten. Missing pieces does not count. And we're going to uh, go back and forth. Uh, what should we, who should go first here? Go ahead. Uh, you know what I'm doing here. Uh, Mulholland yeah. Drive, 2001. I, I knew it. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm snagging Blue Velvet. Yeah, I figured. Um, hmm. I'll take the Elephant Man. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Threw me a curveball. I am going to take hmm. I'm going to take the straight story. Okay, and I'll go uh Wild at Heart. Yeah, I knew it. Hmm. I was down I was down to that or Firewalk with me. Well, then I'm going to take Firewalk with there me. There you go. Okay. So, I have Mulholland Drive, The Elephant Man and Wild at Heart, and you have Blue Velvet, The Straight Story and Firewalk with me. Damn, that's about as even as even as it gets. And we 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 left out uh, Inland Empire, Lost Highway, and Dune. Yeah, and, and Eraserhead. And Eraserhead, yes, which makes sense. Yeah, those are kind of the leftovers anyway. That, that makes sense. <laughs> I, obviously, Blue uh, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive are our, our top dogs. Yes. After that, what's your second favorite of your two? Do you like Firewalk with me or Straight Story? Straight better? Story, I liked better. And then of my two, I'd say Elephant Man is my second, and then Wild at Heart. We've both got. One masterpiece, one conventional biopic, and one just crazy oddball. It's a draw. <laughs> it's a draw. It's a draw. Now, if we, <laughs> if we continued to pick and then say I go Eraserhead, what would you do? I'd do Dune because I, just I don't fucking want Lost Highway. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I think I would win because Dune is, Dune is bad, but you don't like Eraserhead at all. So I don't. Just leave those. Yeah, yeah just take, it's a, take it's it away. It's a fucking draw. Take it away. That's our, that, I believe that was our fourth draft overall. Yes. We've done 1987, 1997. And 2019. That's right. Yes. And then David Lynch. Yeah. And we'll continue to do these. They're just, they're a lot of fun to throw around. We'll get experimental. We won't always do years. Sometimes we'll do actors. actors. Sometimes we'll do themes. But it has to be everything that we've both seen. Yes. That's That's, 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 That's the kicker. Yeah. Wow. Well done. All right. Thanks for 100 episodes of Badass Horror Flicks director and actor retrospectives, new releases, and personal favorites. What's next week? For our 101st episode, we wanted to start a new cycle, hard and strong. So we went to the wisdom of the book of Filmgasm. (laughs) 
where among our 2,200 possible topics, we picked a film that could not have fit our criteria better. (laughs) When a van full of teenagers breaks down on the Texas back roads, they find themselves stalked by a demented family of cannibals and their psychopath attack dog who wears a face made of human skin and wields a weathered old chainsaw. Mm. Next week, we're tackling one of the most influential horror films of all time, the 1974 Toby Hooper classic, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Woo! (laughs) Considered one of the most disturbing films ever made, this will be the one that starts a whole new episode cycle. We cannot wait. Oh, this has been on the book since the very beginning. I have always wanted to do this one. Until then, keep on listening to the Filmgasm podcast, Oscar Sunday, and whatever else we've got planned for the future. I promise it'll be fun. Yes. See you next Wednesday. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.